so I had, a, I had a conversation with Mark about what I'd speak about today. And he goes, this is the worst thing that I think you can say. So Mark's not here, I can say it, don't tell him. So what he said, he goes, just say what's, just say what's on your heart. What, what's God got, for, got on your heart? Just, just tell people about that. And the, the hardest thing about that is God's saying a lot of stuff to me, but it's trying to find out what God's saying to us. And that is quite a difficult thing I find when God just, you know, just whatever God has on your heart. So I'm going to bring some stuff today. It has been mulling over my mind and my heart for a while. Um, and I hope it resonates with you guys as well. Because I know that this is the foundation of who we are as a, as a people of God and as a church. And if we don't get this, it makes every other aspect of church very hard to do. In fact, I would say it makes it impossible to do. So I would say, it's, for me, this is, this is one of the most critical pieces of truth that we can ever grasp hold of once we become a Christian. So I'm going to read a whole book of the Bible to you. And so you're all thinking, oh, great, that's nice. No, it's the shortest letter that, that Paul wrote, okay? So it's Philemon, if you want to turn to that. That's how I say it, Philemon. If you've got a problem, take it up with Australia. <laughs> so if, you, if you've got a book or a Bible, or hopefully that's the same thing, or a phone, if we turn to Philemon, we're going to read all the way through it together. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and the peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my very own hand. 
I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own life. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is an amazing letter that Paul's written here. And it's a letter that he's written to, in particular, to one person, Philemon. But it was... Oh, yeah, sorry, guys. That's gross. So let's get back serious again. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Philemon um, is, is, is the object of this letter of what Paul's written is to him that Paul's writing this to. But it's not just for Philemon to, to read. And it was not just that Philemon would be the only one who would in his secret room read this. Yeah, well, we're reading it here now, but it was to the house church that, was, that he was a part of. And I just want to draw your attention to the very first three verses of this book. And I want to show you something quite amazing. Because Paul, in this very first verse in this book, so let me back up a bit. Let me just tell you that Philemon was written around the same time as Colossians and Ephesians. And Paul was in prison in Rome at the time. It was his first imprisonment in Rome. Um, And when he wrote this, this book, along with Colossians, he starts this off very different to what he starts off Colossians. Because if you read the start of Colossians, he says, Paul, an apostle. And he's stating his authority to be able to write to the church. He's stating that I am the one who is overseeing you all here. And what I say in Colossians is of great importance to you. Now take heed. But it's very different because in Philemon, he doesn't start off like that. He doesn't start off saying, look, Philemon, I'm over you. I'm your leader. Listen to what I say. Do you know what he starts off as? He start, we read it here. He starts off a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's saying, I am not saying as one who is over you. I am saying as one who has not the freedom at the moment. I'm not free to come and speak to you in person. I'm not speaking from a point of authority. I'm speaking to you from a point of one who is imprisoned for the gospel. And we see this as it goes on, that his appeal to Philemon is not one on authority. Although he alludes to it that I could do that. Philemon, I could. I could demand your very, very life itself and you would, you would give it to me. I know you would. So he starts off by saying, not as one who is above you. And then he goes on, he says, Timothy, my, our brother, 
So he starts off now, including others. Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, which also means brother. Aphia, our sister. Archippus, our fellow soldier. And the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first three verses, we have the whole family described. Aphia, according to most scholars, is actually the wife of Philemon. And Archippus is the son of Philemon. So here we have a father, a sister, a son, a brother, a mother, all here in the first three verses of Philemon. Now, when we normally read Philemon, we think this is all about abolishment of slavery or reconciliation. And yes, that is definitely in here. Like, Paul is not, actually, Paul's not trying to upset society by abolishing slavery in this, in this book here. And, and, and we could go right into what it meant to be sl- a slave back then. Like, a third of all of the Roman Empire was slaves. But it wasn't the slaves as we would think. And we're thinking slaves of the 18th, 17th century in North America where they were treated less than animals. This is, this is a very different type of slavery. Not good slavery. It's not saying this is a good thing. But it's not the barbaric slavery that we would normally associate with slavery. You see, the slaves here could actually work for their freedom. They could actually work, and after a set amount of time, buy their own freedom back. And as they worked as slaves, they were actually paid to do that. See, we would probably say this is as a, in our day and age, it would be more of a contract in a business sense. And how many people have been in a job where they're just like, I hate this. I hate this job, but I, I don't have the freedom to, to drop this job. I need it for the food and for the, the, the money and for the benefit of, of my family. I can't stop doing this. You see, that's, that's more akin to what he's talking about here, the slavery. So Paul's not trying to abolish slavery as a, a social change. But this is definitely a major theme, this, this slavery theme. This is often attached to the back of Colossians. In most studies, you'll see Colossians study, and then they'll attach on at the end just as a token effort, Philemon. And they do go hand in hand very well. Onesimus is mentioned in Colossians as well. But do you know what the main theme of Colossians is? The main theme of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. It's the superiority of Christ overall. Colossians is the most Christ-centered of all of Paul's messages. The most Christ-focused of all of his. And then after that, he sends this same book, Philemon, as well. Now why would Paul, to the same church, this is the exact same church, this is the, the church in Colossae, The church in Colossae is getting both of these books, Colossians and Philemon. They would both have heard them read. And could you imagine, like I was reading this, I was thinking, can you imagine 
someone's standing up. And it was probably um, Epiphus, was probably, he's, he's, he's the one who is accredited to being one who founded the church in Colossae. And he probably rest, stood up and read this. Could you imagine being Philemon, sitting down, hearing this read out? And Paul knew that this was going to be the case, so he didn't appeal to him on saying, this is what you must do, here's all the stuff you have to follow. He says, I appeal to you, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. I was reading through, I was, I was actually trying to decide What was the main part to bring out of this? And, and it's only ever good, I think it's only ever good to come and say to you guys one thing that you should take away from this. And I want to show you that the one thing to take away from this is Paul is emphasizing above all what it is to be in the family of Christ. Above everything else, whether it's slavery or reconciliation or the gospel story or anything like that, he's saying we are family. I appeal to you not as an apostle but as a brother. And I appeal to you as a brother for my son. Paul often uses these terminologies of of, of family and, and especially when it comes to the church because, do you know, we are not... We are not a corporation. We are not an institution. We are not a club. We are a family. And the reason we come here is not because we are compelled to, but that's we've, we've signed up to the Christian creed and now we must come. We come because we are family. We come because our brothers and our sisters and our mothers and our fathers, our sons and our daughters are here with us. Do you know, before time even started, before there was time, there was family. Family existed before anything was created. The father and the son have always been. Family was there before the beginning even happened. And when the Garden of Eden was created and man was created, what did God do? He prepares man to become part of a family. Why do you think, why do you think God got Adam to name all the animals? Do you think it was because he was really good at naming stuff? Do you think it was because God was a bit tired from all that creation, he couldn't be bothered naming them, he'll delegate that out? Before Adam names it all, it says in Scripture, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God parades all the animals he's created before Adam. And Adam names them all. 
names them all. Names them all. But not one of them was like him. Not one of them could he say, this is my flesh, this is me, this is, this is my family. Not one of them. And then when Eve comes along, what, what is Adam's reaction? No longer is he just going, dog, cat, giraffe. You know, he's wow, finally, finally, flesh of my flesh. He calls her woman. Why? You are like me. We, we, we're the same. Family starts off right there in the garden. The creation story is about God in heaven creating a place so the family can thrive. The very lowest common denominator you can get down in humanity is two. There must be male and female for there to be any such thing as humanity. We are created as family. Why? Because God is family. Before creation was, before time existed, before anything was, family existed. And then God brings us into that. And here's Paul appealing to Philemon, on the very grounds that we are not colleagues, I'm not your boss, you're not my employee, but that you're my brother. And in fact, it, it, it speaks of in Galatians where Paul goes, I birthed you, Galatians. You know, Paul, I think about that, right? Now, if you're a parent, a father or a mother, who, who's affected more by that, that imagery of birthing. I think a woman is affected more than a man in that imagery of birthing because, do you know what? There's never been a man who's given birth. We haven't experienced that fullness of that. And so when Paul's speaking of this in Galatians, he actually says, you know, what are you doing, Galatians? It's like I have to birth you all over again. And as a man, I was thinking about that, and I was just thinking, yeah, that's a bit of a, that's a, bit of a downer. <laughs> That'd be annoying that, you know, they didn't get it the first time, you've got to do it again and go through all that labor and that pain and, and give birth again. But I can tell you that my wife did not want to give birth again to Isaac or to Isabel or to Jonathan. Once was enough for each of them. To have to think, I'm going to do it again. So Paul's using this terminology that is not just going to affect Philemon, because who does he also mention in this? He mentions Philemon's wife. Now, why would he do that? Well, if you've got a wife, you know why. A wife is often the one who has that common sense that actually includes the life of another person. You see, for men, we can be very direct. And sometimes we forget the human cost of our decisions. And I'm thinking, like, when I read this, I think, oh, Philemon, don't just be really careful how you handle this because if, if you do this with your slave, then think of all your other 
household slaves. What's going to happen then? They're all going to want the same thing and all of a sudden you've got to give it, you know. It's like saying to a business, they're all your business partners now. I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm thinking, just be careful how you handle this, Philemon. But Paul doesn't even care about that. What's he saying? Family trumps. Family trumps society. Family trumps social etiquette. What society demands, family trumps. And when Paul's pleading to Philemon, when he's pleading with him, he's saying, do you notice how he sets it up before he even mentions who he's pleading for? I'll read it to you. Listen to this. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Philemon has no idea what's required here. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man. Now, Paul's probably about in his 60s. This is around about 62 AD. He's dead by 64 at the early, 67 at the latest. Paul's life is towards the end. And so he's, he's not just saying from a point of view of, you know what, we're brothers. He's saying, for 30 years I've been pouring myself out for the gospel. I'm in prison for the gospel. I'm appealing to you. And some actually translations don't put this as um, an old man. They put it as, as your elder, as one who has influence and, and has shaped your life has a fatherly role over you, Philemon. But he doesn't leave it at just saying, I I am older than you, listen to me. He says this, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I've paid the price. I know what it is to be in the family of God. And after he, he lines all these up, he says, I appeal to you for my child. Now Paul's just set this this amazing appeal up, and then he says that it's not just a friend, it's not even a brother, it's a child. He is my flesh of my flesh. He is he's the very heart of who I am. He has my heart, and I send him to you, Philemon, because he carries my heart. This is what a father does. Do you know a father imparts heart to children? He says, I appeal to you for my child, Anesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. They don't tell us how Anesimus found Paul. And the scholars, they reckon that Anesimus stole something from Philemon, ran off to Rome to hide and to, to not be found. And somehow... Somehow, by the sovereignty of God, he turns up with Paul. And Paul alludes to that later when he says, you know, perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while.
when Onesimus ran to Rome, he met Paul, and from there he became a Christian. And from there, the heart of Paul was imparted to Onesimus. And he's mentioned later on in, in Colossians as, as one who is of use to the church. And Onesimus, the actual name was a common name for slaves back then, because Onesimus actually means useful or beneficial. That's what the name actually means. And here's Paul, he's, I don't know, maybe as part of his appeal, but he's saying, you know, do you know what? Onesimus, who you called Onesimus because he was supposed to be useful for you and your household, but ended up being useless, is once again useful. And later on, Paul alludes to this whole thing about being of benefit and he, and he calls to, and he says to Philemon, he says, he says, brother, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. And see, this is Paul saying as a father to a son, as a father to Philemon, he's saying, I want some benefit, I want some usefulness out of you. Show me what Christ has done in you. Show me what my labor has been for. Show me why I'm imprisoned. I want some benefit from the work that I've done as well. And he appeals to Philemon on the very grounds that Philemon would have expected Onesimus to be like. But Paul is trying to get Philemon and the church to understand we have brothers, we have sisters. And, and Paul is not trying to say it in a, in a demanding way. He's, he's trying to show his heart. And, and the very reason he's sending Onesimus back is because he's saying, I'd rather keep him because he is so useful to me. He is of such benefit to me. But do you know what? I send him back so that you may see the change in him. You may see how useful he's become. You may have him back as a brother. Anesimus has gone through a transformation of once being useless to now not just being useful to Paul, but becoming part of the family of God. Galatians 4 says this, 4.4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit, his Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When, I, when Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, he's not even telling him, don't take him back as a slave. Listen, he tells him, you can take him back as a slave. But he's better than that. You've got more than that, Onesimus is, is now your brother. And it says, uh, this is a pit that I want, to really, I want you to really hear because this is the stuff that has really impacted me. This is the word. Listen to this. For, perhaps, uh, for this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. More than a slave. 
more than an acquaintance, more than someone you hang out with, more than a companion, more than someone who's useful to you, more than a slave, as a beloved brother. You see, I had, I, I had a great privilege of growing up in an amazing family. Not perfect by a long way, but amazing family. I have four brothers. I have three sisters. I have two cousins that became like a brother and sister to me. I had a foster brother. And we used to, also there used to be an army barracks in the town we lived in, and they would often send um, the young 16-year-olds who'd go to join up the army, they'd send them out to families around the area so that they would know what it'd be like to be in a family and that they wouldn't lose touch with what that comfort would, you'd get from a family. Because being in the army is all they do and is, it is very much just broship, isn't it? And they lose touch with a lot of society. So as part of the policies, they would send them out into the families to, to make sure they were grounded. And we would also have these army cadets. Well, they're not cadets. They were, they were army. Young army um, privates would come and, and live with us as well. So family for me was, was as natural as anything. And we lived in the country and my... My dad grew up in the city, and so when he came to the country, his family rejected him because he went to the country. And then, to top it off, when he married, he married a lady, he married my mum, who had two previous kids. Well, that was it. The sense of my dad's family was that you have not conformed to the society that we want you to. Now they were bankers, so they were in that, that level where you had to appear good. And as soon as he leaves that, no longer does the family want much to do with him. And I remember going up and seeing my, my nana, and she was terrifying. Terrifying. She would sit there, and you could feel as a kid, you didn't know what it was, but I look back now and you could feel the hatred she had. I don't know why, but we would parade in front of her. I don't know why we ever went and saw her. She didn't want us there. I mean, can you imagine eight kids coming into a house in Sydney? And it was just, all we could wait for is that we could be released to go to the park. And we had to all parade in front of her and say, hello, and then we would move on. But that, that's not the family I experienced. And later on in life, when my, my uncles had rejected my dad and, and they had kind of written him off as a country bumpkin. You know, it's funny, when you live in the country, people think you're more stupid. I don't know why that is. But for some reason, if you live in the country, your brain doesn't work quite as well. And so they thought my dad was a little bit stupid. But I remember this incident that happened. My brother was getting married. My uncle had come down for it, and it was the night before the wedding. 
and my uncle had too many to drink and was sitting around a table and he breaks down in tears because he says, your dad has got something I've never had. Your family loves like I've never known before. And my dad, never, never were they excluded. They welcomed in at all times my uncles and and their kids. And my uncle could see that actually having position, being a, a banker or whatever it is, was nothing compared to having the love of a family. And I want to say that this letter is to us today as a church. I want to say, if you can't see one another as, as a brother or a sister, as a mother or a father, as a son or a daughter, then you're missing what it is to be in the family of God. You're missing it. My son, the other day, oh, a little while ago, he, I was putting him down to bed, And just before he went to sleep, he goes, Dad, I'm so glad I'm a boy. That's good, son. Why is that? When I grow older, I get to make all the decisions. (laughs) 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 And in that moment, there's so many things that go through your head. But I said, you know what, son? Decision means that not only do you make the decision, but you take the consequences of what happens. Whether good or bad, you're responsible for the outcome of that. And I said, I can't make any decision on my own. Any decision that is of lasting value or of a great importance to us as a family. I said to him, do you know what? I depend upon your mum's wisdom. It's essential that I have my wife's wisdom. And he, it's funny because in his face, when you hear that actually you've got to carry the consequences and the, the, the responsibility of that, all of a sudden he's like, ah, oh, I just wanted to play on the Nintendo all the time or just eat chocolate. I thought it was just so I can do the... no. And see, there is something about a fatherly role that, yes, he makes that end decision, but that's because he's the one that cops the flack if it goes wrong. You see, any decision I make, when it goes wrong, it's my fault, and when it goes right, it's my wife's fault. And I'm not just being trying to be funny about that, it's because I lean so heavily upon her wisdom. And see, this is why we're put into family. You know, we have mothers and fathers in the church here. Sandra, can I just have you stand up, please? This is a mother in this church. This is what a mother looks like to us. The way that Sandra goes about in looking out for people, I know how much she has been a mother to to many of us here. But this is what a mother in the church looks like. 
Roz, can you stand up, please? This is what a mother looks like in the church. Someone who sees a new one come in and immediately is ready to gather around them, to draw them in. This is what a mother looks like in the church. Jill, can you stand up, please? This is what a mother looks like in the church. To me, Jill is like that description of the mother hen that brings in all the, all the little chicks. This is what a mother looks like in the church. And Angie, I tell you what, do you know what a mother bear looks like? <laughs> Who would protect her children? Angie is like a mother bear that will tear shreds off anyone who tries to get near her children. And I'm talking in the spiritual sense. Do you know, biological father and mothering, brothering and sistering, is second, second to the spiritual. We were first spiritually fathered long before we were physically or biologically fathered. Spiritually fathering is so much harder. And this is something I'm learning. See, if I am only a biological father to my kids, I've failed them. I am primarily a spiritual father to them. And I am learning how to be a spiritual father here to you guys. And part of that is I don't want to look back in another 10 years' time and not see that we have missed what it means to be brother and sister. Mike, can I have you stand up, please? This is what a father looks like in the church. What a father does is he imparts heart. He imparts his very heart to us. And I have had this man impart his heart to me. This is a father in the body. He is a father to us. Steve, can you stand up? This is what a brother looks like in the body. I've had conversations with Steve where I have to rethink what I'm thinking. He sharpens me. This is what a brother looks like in the body. He's there for you, but he won't let you just get away with rubbish. He wants you to be stronger. He wants you to think about things more clearly, and he's willing... He's willing to offend, not be offensive, but he's willing to say things that you will not agree with for your benefit. That's what a brother looks like. You see, we are a family in the church, and I don't want to see us... And, and I'm going to finish up, but I want you to understand this. If you don't understand that you're a brother and a sister, a mother, a father, a daughter, or a son, if you don't grasp this very fundamental truth of Christianity, then it makes doing anything else very difficult. Do you know, we have to put rules and laws and, and guidances in place because the very fact is you do not see each other as brothers and sisters. So much would just disappear if we saw each other as family, 
And I'm not saying treat one another like family. I'm saying you are family. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. You are my mothers and my fathers. My sons and my daughters. You are, and that's how you live. This is what Paul's trying to say to Philemon. This is how it is. The reality is this. Now live in that. Do you know how this would transform our church? I, I look forward and I see what our church could be like. <laughs> I see what we could be like if we treated each other as family. I see it. And it's a marvelous thing. I don't want us to miss it. Church becomes so easy, so easy when we know that we are in the family of God, that he, Jesus Christ, has paid the price. He has made a way so that we could be adopted into the family of God, the family that existed before all things we adopted into. I want to read you something from... And then I'll finish. I'm going to read something from my, from my nephew... Now, my, my nephew is also from a broken family. His mum left him when he was three months old, him and his sister. His dad alone raised him until they met my sister. And my sister had also had a, a child out of wedlock. But then God does something when he brings families together. See, God is in the business of making families. This is why he brings us together into this church to make families. And Daniel's had a pretty tough, tough life. He struggled many, many things. Right from that, even to the point that he's, I won't go into it, but he's, he's had a hard time. And, and just this week, this came through on an email. And I want to read it to you, and I want you to see the hope that is in it. And my hope is that you would understand that we are better than slaves. We're better than co-partners. We're better than co-workers. We're beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we go from that truth, we will see. We will see such an amazing transformation in this church. He entitled it, Who I'm Meant to Be. Now, I want to tell you also, he is, how old is he, 17 or 16? Okay, this is, this is a teenager. One day when my time is almost up, when I fall over and get dizzy as soon as I stand up, I will look back at my life, but what will I see? Will I be happy with my life? Did I have a family? Did I know who I was and who I was supposed to be? Or did I miss out on the destiny that was waiting for me? Did I go at life with everything I had? Or did I blame it, on, it, on, did I blame it all on my mum leaving dad? Did I fight, be stubborn and do it my way? Or did I lean 
Did I learn from others and save a lot of pain? Did I look out for me and not think of others? Or did I care for others, the orphans, the mothers? Did I measure life by materials and success? Or by the memories that I made with those I love best? Was I seeking attention and worship and praise? Or was I serving the Lord in all of my ways? Did I spread Jesus' love, bring others to him? Or did I stay in my room and not let the world in? Did I stick up for what I believe in through thick and through thin? Or did I want to look cool to others and let the world win? Did I keep focused on the Lord through trials and doubt? Or did I look to my own strength to figure it out? Was I worried about what others would say about me? Or did I listen to my wife and my family? Did I sit and tell others how to live their lives? Or did I live a good life so that they could follow and so they could have an example to follow? Was I happy with my life feeling that I had ample? Or did I worship money and put it on a mantle? Did I sit by and watch people suffer? Or did I bring in the homeless and give them supper? Did I teach my children to be like everyone else and fit in? Or did I show them Jesus so they, would have, they could have true happiness within? Did I raise lazy children who didn't try at all? Or did I raise strong children who would get up when they fall? Did I show love to my children and show them how to care? Or was I just another father who was never, ever there? Did I treat my wife with respect and love her tight every night? Or was I abusive and stubborn and always had to be right? Was I a person who walked? Uh, was I a person who people talked to when they needed guidance? Or was I too caught up in my job and my finance? Was I there when I was needed just to lend an ear? Or was I always talking about me and my year? Did I make genuine friends that would last forever? Or was I fake and make relationships that would soon wear and weather? Did I trust others and live a full life? Or was I paranoid they would let me down and ruin my life? Was I faithful to my wife and never strayed from her? Or did I get drunk and sleep with someone else instead of her? Did I compare my life to others and covet what they had? Or was I happy with my gorgeous wife and being a dad? Did I, go with Jesus, did I go where Jesus called me and follow his voice? Or was I worried he couldn't do it and doubted the one that I follow? Did I sing praises to him with the voice that he has given me? Or did I use it to spread hate and destroy his precious gift for me? I guess the gist of what I'm trying to say is did I follow the Lord Jesus in every way? That struck me because I was thinking about our church. What would I think about when I look back in 10 years' time? Would I think this is a church that gets what it means to be in the family of God? Or would I look back and say, gee, we do church well. That was a great service. I think the bands played that song really well. There are as many things you could get from Philemon. But I want you to get this one thing. We're more than slaves. We're more than acquaintances. We're more than companions. We're more than friends. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're mothers. 
We're fathers. If we get this, if we own it in our hearts, it's going to alleviate a lot, a lot of issues, but it's going to open up an amazing, an amazing display of what God is truly like. For he is the Father from whom all, all fatherhood has come down. He is the family from whom all families come down. Let me... Father, we thank you that you sent your Son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made the way that we were once slaves, we were once children of darkness. We couldn't find our own way. We didn't even know what the way was. And you came, Lord Jesus, and you have transposed us, transported us. You have picked us up out of that kingdom of darkness and you have placed us into your kingdom of light. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit from which we can cry, Daddy God, dear Father, loving, loving Father, heavenly Dad. We pray that we would understand what it is to be in the family of God. Perhaps not what we have experienced family to be, Perhaps not what we think it should be. But we would actually understand what it is to be a son and a daughter of the Most High. To be a brother to the King of Kings. To share in the very inheritance of the Son of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd burn into our hearts. That as we see one another this day, as we see each other going forward into the greater works and the goods that you have in store for us, as, as we look to the future of what you will do, we will go as a family. We will be on mission with our brothers and our sisters. We will see each other through the eyes of family. Better than slaves, beloved brothers. In Jesus' name, amen.